Hello, and thank you for listening to this CD from River of Life Church. If you enjoy this disc, we want to encourage you to share it with a family member or friend. Also, visit River of Life this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. For service times and directions, visit riveroflifefl.com. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Associate Pastor Dr. Bill Jenkins as he teaches from the Word of God. You glad you're here this morning? Amen. They just about had worship. I love it. I, uh, Brother Chuck came up and gave me some instruction a while ago. And uh, before I do that, let me say this. I just want to thank Brother uh, Henry Jones for allowing me the privilege of coming and preaching. Uh, he loves to preach, and for him to step aside and let some of the rest of us preach, that uh, you know how that is. But uh, not only is he my pastor, he's also my friend. And uh, I have found him to be uh, one of the most uh, honest people I've ever met. Uh, when I asked him, could I sing? He said, absolutely not. <laughs> now that hurt my feelings. <laughs> brother Chuck came up and told me a while ago, he says, now Brother Bill, you have a tendency to get a little fast when you're going through your scriptures and you've got a lot of them today. Be slow. I've always been slow. This body doesn't move anywhere fast, okay? I mean, I'm so slow. I, my mama carried me 15 months. Okay? I never got my birthmark until I was seven years old. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be slow this morning. But I want to speak to you on this subject. Uh, my anchor holds. And I've got some scripture for you. This is coming from the book of Hebrews, chapter 6 and verse number 19. It's from the uh, New English translation. <clears throat> now look, I'm slow, but you've got to do better than that. There we go. It says, we have this, what's the word? Hope. As an anchor for the soul, sure and steadfast, which reaches inside behind the curtain where Jesus, our forerunner, entered on our behalf since he became a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. He says we have a, a hope. And that hope is to be an anchor for our soul. Now anybody that's ever done any sailing of any kind. Knows that if you sail long enough. You're going to run into some rough water. And it's in those times that you're going to need an anchor. Something that will sustain you when the storm hits. Another verse of scripture found over in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, English Standard Version, it says, though the fig tree should not blossom, and there are days when our fig trees don't blossom. Can I get an amen right there? He goes further to say, nor fruit beyond the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit. He's in a bad situation, amen? Things are going to get tough. And then the Bible says, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God 
of my salvation. Several years ago, Ray Boltz uh, sang a song, wrote a song. Uh, this song was introduced to me uh, November uh, 1999. It was November the 22nd. I remember it distinctly. The reason I remember it is because November the 20th, 1999, a Friday night, our son was killed in an automobile accident. And he and his best friend, and so we went to church that Sunday morning, and our minister of music, Brother Doyle Lundy, uh, sang this song. And uh, I'm not going to sing it, aren't you glad for that? <laughs> but I want to read to you, if I can, the verses, and they're going to put them up on the screen. This is what Ray Bolts wrote. He said, I have journeyed through the long, dark night, out on an open sea, by faith alone, sight unknown, yet his eyes were watching me. I've had visions. I've had dreams. I've even held them in my hand. But I never knew that they would slip right through like they were only grains of sand. I've been young, but I'm older now. And there has been beauties these eyes have seen. Listen to this. But it was in the night, through the storms of my life, oh, that's where God proved his love for me. The anchor holds, though the ship is battered. The anchor holds, though the sails are torn. I have fallen on my knees as I faced the raging seas. The anchor holds in spite of the storm. The reality of that song, although it overwhelmed me that Sunday morning, sank in the next afternoon as I went to the funeral home. And I saw my 25-year-old son laying in a casket. I thought of all the dreams and the hopes. He was the one that was going to carry my name to the next generation. Oh, I, I, I've been to so many ball games. I, 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 listen, he was my heartthrob. I, I, I couldn't think of life without him. And just like the song said, even though I'd held him in my arms, he slipped through my fingers like grains of sand. Oh, how my heart was broken. It was Horatio Spafford who wrote the song, It is well with my soul after tremendous calamity in his own life the loss of his business, the, the loss of his children. And he came to that place where the ship had sunk and his four daughters, four daughters had perished. And he wrote that song, It Is Well With My Soul. And in the second line of that song, he makes a statement. He says that there are times when sorrows like sea billows roll. Times when, when, when a wave of sorrow comes and it breaks upon you and you can't hardly stand it and, and then you say, well, thank God that's over. Only to find that there's another wave coming and you think you've survived that one and then yet another. And sorrows like sea billows roll. One of my favorite books of the Bible is the Old Testament book of Job. Because Job was a man that saw days just like that. His story is recorded for us 
His is the first of the poetic books in your Bible found just before you reach the book of Psalms. And if you will, if you've got your Bible, you can open it up or turn it on to Job chapter number 1. It is considered by most to be the oldest book of your Bible. There's no mention in this book of the tabernacle or Moses or Abraham or the law of God. So it is assumed by many that this book was written before those things existed. As you began to read the book of Job in Job chapter 1, you read of a heavenly conflict. You got your Bible? They're going to put it on the screen. Begin with me in verse number 6, if you would, please. Job chapter 1, verse number 6, the Bible says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord, See, even the devil has to answer to the Lord. And said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. Verse number 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? Listen, that there is none like him in the earth. He's a perfect and an upright man, one that fears God and eschews evil. God's literally saying, This man's different. He's my man. He's morally mature. He has a reverence for God. And he turns or shuns away from all evil. And then you have Satan's counter, beginning in verse number 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him? And he does that about his children. You've made it around his house and all that he hath on every side. Listen. God, you have blessed the work of his hands. And God does that. And you have blessed the substance is increased in the land. And God blesses his children. He gives us favor. And then Satan said, but put forth thy hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse you to your face. God's man, according to God, a perfect man. But Satan said, you, you put your hand, you take your blessings away from him. You see what Satan is doing, Satan the accuser, unable to contend with God power to power, is determined to frustrate the relationship of God that God has with the creation that bears his image. And so as a tempter, he seeks to alienate humans from God. Genesis 3, Matthew 4. But as an accuser, he seeks to alienate God from humans. Revelation chapter 12, Zechariah chapter 3 tells us this. And so Satan says, God, the only reason Job is serving you is because you bless him. But if you take your blessings away, 
he will curse you to his face. Verse number 12 is a shocking statement to this old preacher. Satan standing boldly in the face of God, challenging God. And God says, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put forth not thy hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now understand this. God has chosen to allow his choicest servant to be tried by Satan. Oh, Brother Bill, that's Old Testament. You know, we we don't believe that in the New Testament. It's grace, grace, more grace. I mean, if you listen enough to television preaching, you're going to get on the conviction because you don't have a new car and a new house and a bank full of money. You must not be right with God. But Peter would write in 1 Peter, in chapter number 4, verses 12 and 13, these words. Beloved, who's he talking to? He's talking to his children. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that has beset you as though some strange thing has happened unto you. Oh no! Rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when His glory shall be revealed you may be glad also with exceeding joy. When God is allowing Satan to go and to put his hand upon the life of Job. You need to understand this. There is much more here than just the trial of Job. God's character is on the line. If Job fails, if he curses God, then God was wrong about Job. And if God could be wrong about Job, he could be wrong about other things. And if God is wrong, he can't be God. God has invested in Job his character. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say that uh, Brother Henry is needing somebody to come in and preach a revival, and he comes to me, and he said, Brother Bill, you're older and dirt and know a lot of preachers. Uh, you recommend anybody? And I give him this glowing recommendation of this individual, and, and so he decides, even though he hadn't heard him, that he's going to go ahead and invite that man to come build the pulpit. And he comes in here, and he is a total flop. I mean, he preaches like he didn't have two ounces of brain matter, okay? And when people in the congregation began to complain, Brother Henry says, but Brother Bill recommended him. <laughs> you understand that I was the one who made the recommendation. And it is God who has recommended Job. God has literally said, He's my 
man. He loves me. He hates evil. He will stand. And Satan says, oh no. He's flesh and blood and all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Let me have him for a while. We'll find out how much of a real Christian he is. We'll find out how much faith he really has. So we go now from the heavenly confrontation to the earthly attack. You've got your Bible? Chapter 1, verse number 14. The Bible says, And there came a messenger unto Job, and said the oxen were plowing, and the asses were feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and, and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. I only am escaped alone to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And, and I only am allowed uh, escaped to tell you. Verse 17, and while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans made off with three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away. Yea, they've slain the servant with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped. And we, we go over this so quickly that we don't stop and ponder. If he had said that he had killed Brother Bill's camels and goats and sheep, I wouldn't have lost anything. But if you look back in verse number 3 of this first chapter, the Bible says Job's substance was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household, this statement, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. Here's a man that has such possessions that God says he's the most blessed man. He has the greatest possession, earthly possession, of anyone in the East. And in a moment, in one day's time, everything that he owns is gone. Still happens today. I've met many who were financially secure. And in one day, the bottom fell out. One day, all that they had accounted on, all that they thought was secure, was gone. Like grains of sand slipped right through their fingers. And then... Verse number 18. While he was yet speaking, and the thought of all that he lost is going over Job like sea billows. The Bible says, there came also another. And he said, thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell you. 
What a day. A day when all that he owns has been taken away. And now word comes. Job, you remember those children God blessed you with? They're all gone. You don't have anybody to carry your name for you. They're all dead. How would you respond to a day like that? I've had some bad days. I, I want to be honest with you, the day we buried our son was probably one of the worst days of my life. But dear friend, I don't believe I've ever had anything quite as bad as what Job's facing. Satan has orchestrated all of this for one purpose, and that is to cause the man that God had put his confidence in, the one that God had placed his character on, this man has been so attacked so that Satan could say to God, see, he can't hold up. He's not strong enough. You, you don't understand, God, he's human. And yet the Bible says, his response, and it's probably not going to be up there, I'm going to read it to you, Verse number 20, then Job arose and he rent his mantle, he shaved his head, he fell down upon the ground, and he worshipped. He said, naked came I from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So we go to chapter 2. The scenario, the heavenly conflict is repeated. But this time, this time Satan is allowed to go after Job in his health. You've got verse number 6 through 8. They'll pull it up on the screen. The Bible says, And the Lord said to Satan, Listen to this. Behold, he's in your hand, Satan. Just don't kill him, save his life. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord, and he smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. He, and Job took a potsherd to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. Over in chapter number 7 and verse number 5, he makes this statement about his physical being. He says, my flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and I become loathsome. Not only has he lost all of his physical positions, earthly wealth is gone. Not only are his children gone, if that wasn't bad enough, Satan has come now and attacked his own physical body. And the Word of God says that Job sits down in a pile of ashes. Ashes that perhaps was once an altar. He has nothing left to offer God as a sacrifice. All his sheep, all his goats, all his cattle are gone. So he offers himself sitting in that pile of ashes, he takes a piece of a broken vessel and he begins to scrape his sin. He begins to comfort himself. 
foreshadowing a day when a, the broken vessel of Calvary would become a comfort to all of God's children. Not only the physical pain, if anyone has been through an intense sickness, the loss of children, the loss of worldly possessions and gain, there accompanies with it a disease that we are now referring to as depression. In fact, Dr. Craig Edwards says in his little book on depression that by the year 2025, three quarters of the American families will have experienced some form of depression by one of their members. It's a sickness that comes upon us. Job knew what it was. We find him saying this in Job chapter 3, verses 20 through 22. Wherefore is light given to him that's in misery and life to a bitter soul, a soul which longs for death, but it comes not. And dig for it more than hidden treasures, which rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. Again, in chapter number 6, verse 8 and 9, Job makes this statement. Oh, that I might have my request, that God would grant me the thing that I long for, even that it would please God to destroy me and that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. Do you see the depression that has settled upon the servant of God? The one that God referred to as the choicest in all the land, sitting in an ash heap, having lost all of his worldly possessions, his children, his own health physically and emotionally. But wait a minute. Satan's not through. Satan has an ace in the hole. Finally, Satan uses his partner. His wife comes to him in chapter 2 and verse number 9 and makes this statement. Then his wife said unto him, Dost thou still remain thy integrity? Curse God and die. Oh, oh, by the way, in chapter 1, that's exactly what Satan said Job would do. Job's wife has now become Satan's mouthpiece. And there's no one that has more influence over you than the one who wears your ring. Are you depressed? I mean, this, this sermon, whew, I thought you was going to shout and run around and jump up and down like you always do. Oh, no. We hadn't got to the good part yet. This is, this is the preliminary. Because, you see, Job has got an anchor in the midst of the storm that seems like it's going to destroy his very being. In fact, he's wishing for death. 
There are some things that Job knew. Now, there's some things he didn't know, okay? You need to understand this. Job never knew about the meeting in heaven. You and I read about it as though we thought Job knew what was going on. Job never knew that God had put all of, 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 of his character trusting him, that God was going to use Job to prove to all of creation that man will serve God regardless of the blessings. Job never knew that. Job never knew that Satan was challenging God. He never knew that that it was Satan that was afflicting him. In fact, when you read the first part of the 19th chapter, he thinks it's God that's after him. Job did not know what tomorrow was going to bring. I mean, listen, after you've had the days that Job's had, you you hate for the sun to come up wondering what's going to happen next. But he did know some things. In fact, he wrote them down for us. Job chapter 19, verse number 25, this is what he says. After suffering through all of this, he still clings to this anchor. He says, for I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. Oh, listen. It's not up there. I'm going to read it to you. And though my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I'll see for myself. Mine eyes shall behold not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Back up in that verse number 25. He said, I've got a personal possession that will not fail me. I know that my Redeemer living. I've claimed him. Not only is he mine, I'm his. Regardless of what this world throws at me, I belong to him. He's my redeemer. The word in the Hebrew literally means to be bought with a price. He's paid the price. He knows that I'm his and he's alive. It's not that he's going to be alive or that he once was alive. He is alive right now. And the Word of God says, and in all of this, Job sinned not. Can I bring that up to 21st century vernacular? In all of this, Job made God look good. Oh, if I come to the end of my race, if I can say he made God look good, isn't that enough? What does it matter if you own 10,000 acres? They're going to bury you in six foot. What does it matter if you've got 25,000 suits that cost $1,000 a piece? They're going to bury you in one and they're going to split it down the back. (laughs) Amen. Oh, but if you can come to the end and God say, well done. Thy good and faithful servant. You see, Job's not the only person that's going to be tried. Beloved, think it not strange. It's going to come to you. You see, 
in the New Testament, God's got another servant, a fellow by the name of Paul. And this is what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 8. He says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of the trouble that came upon us, that we literally was pressed out of measure above strength, and that we despaired even of life. You know what he said? You, you, you've said something similar to that. that. That thing came on you and you said, I was just crushed. You ever been there? And then he makes this statement. I despaired even of life. Oh, if... Preacher, you just don't know. There are days that I just wish I could take my last breath. And it all be over. But Paul had an anchor. And this is what he wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 12. He says, For the which cause I also suffered these things, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able. Have you thought about that? That he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Oh, the world may fade away, and it's going to eventually. But God's throne will never diminish. He's my anchor, regardless of what comes. Now, preacher, why, why in the world would you ever, ever preach a sermon like that? Well, let me say, there's going to come a time in your life when the phone's going to ring, and it's going to be the worst phone call you've ever received. There's going to come a time when your doctor is going to say, I'm sorry. There's nothing else we can do. There'll come a time when you're going to stand, each one of you, before the judge of all the earth. On that day, you're going to need an anchor. You're going to have to have something that's going to carry you through the storm. And I want to tell you, the things of this world, they, they won't last. It doesn't matter how, how much you pile up. Somebody's got something that can move the pile. It doesn't matter how strong you are. I used to grab my wife and, and lift her up. I, I almost do push-ups with, with, you know, that, that, that kind of stuff with her. She was a little bitty frail thing. Now she has to help me out of bed. <laughs> Physical strength fails. But there is a strength. There is a source that never runs dry. A well that you can go to time after time after time. A well who's able to meet every need exceedingly, abundantly above.
all that you can ask or think. I want to ask you, have you got an anchor this morning? Some of you sitting here in this auditorium right now, you've never been saved. You know it. God knows it. I was talking to a man the other day, and I said, and you know, I, I, when you're old, you can just say stuff, and people got to put up with it, because, I mean, what can they do? I mean, you don't want to hit an old man. And I looked at him, and I said, I was very nice to him. I said, sir, are you saved? Well, I don't know. What are you talking about? He said, well, I joined the church, you know, when I was a little boy, they took me down there and they sprinkled me and and I went through the classes. I guess I'm saved. I said, sir, if that's all you got, you're going to die and bust hell wide open. You said, well, you ought not to be so bold. Why not? His eternal soul is hanging in the balance, just like some of yours is right now. And if you don't hear what I'm saying, dear friend, you, without Christ, will die and bust hell wide open. You say, well, I'm a Baptist. Bless your heart. (laughs) You won't be the first one to die and go to hell. You ought not to be so bold. Friends, I, I haven't got time to be piddle-paddling around, soft-selling the gospel of God. You are either saved or you're lost. And there is no in-between. Do you understand that? And if you die in a moment, if tragedy strikes, and it strikes every day, and you don't have Jesus, you have no Hope. Doesn't matter who you are, who your family is, what you own, or where you've been. The final test is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Would you pray with me, please? Thank you again for listening to this life changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.